0: But there should still be this open area where we can all criticize any form of leadership and authority, no matter where it's coming from. Right.
1: I think it's really important to remember that free speech is not a partisan issue and everyone's freedom depends on the ability to criticize the government and to stand up for what they believe is right.
2: Welcome to the Lost Debate, a show for political eclectics. I'm Robbie Gupta. I'm Corey Bradford. And I'm Ricky Schlott. Well, Corey, what are we going to talk about today? We
0: got a fiery episode today. A lot of things we're going to talk about coming up. Alabama Republicans will get to keep a gerrymandered congressional map accused of discriminating against black voters. We discuss the national implications of gerrymandering. NBA player Ennis Cantor Freedom is advocating for freedom of speech while athletes are being silenced at the Beijing Olympics. Should more athletes speak out? Then we take a visit to the artificial sun and talk about a breakthrough in nuclear fusion power we'll check in on award season with a quick oscars chat such an important topic there but first things first An article detailing the murky finances of the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation is stoking controversy on social media this week. An expose in New York magazine outlines disparities between the larger, well-funded BLM organization versus smaller local activists who claim the organization doesn't do enough to fund real change. The article also highlights questionable transactions, including unspent funds that total up to $60 million and broken promises to support the families of those killed by police violence. All right, so I wanna be clear that we are talking about a very specific organization here. We're talking about the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. This was the first Black Lives Matter chapter started, I think back in 2013. They are the largest uh, organization associated with that name, but there are several local chapters of Black Lives Matter that some of them are some of them are affiliated with this organization many of them are not and so it is we need to be very clear that we're talking about a specific organization and they've talked a little bit about how they're spending this money but there's like a lot of money out there that no one really knows what it's going to or how it's being contributed to these um, local organizations and the actual causes that Black Lives Matter stands for. So,
2: what are what are we thinking about this? Like, what what are some of the problematic things here? Yeah, and you know, Sean Campbell in New York Magazine, you know, detailed this, and I think he did a really good job of highlighting uh, who the real victims here are, which are these local chapter leaders and a lot of times parents of people who've been killed. And I think what this story tells me is that, you know, we have this phenomenon now of some of these mega charities and I think well-intentioned people when something happens on the national scale, whether it's a hurricane or whether it's, you know, in this case, um, violence against black lives, they want to give money right away. And often there's not a system in place to vet the organizations it goes to. And it it often doesn't go to the people on the ground doing the good work. But Ricky, I know you poured through some of these uh, allegations. Like what, what do we know so far? And um, what did uh, Sean Campbell find in his reporting?
1: Yeah. So essentially, um, in 2020, got 90 million dollars. A lot of that's from corporations, but a lot of that's also from well-meaning individuals as well. Um, and within their financing, they released that 8.4 million dollars went to operating expenses, 21.7 million to grants, um, actually putting things out there and getting things going on the ground at uh, ground level. Um, but then 60 million dollars was retained. And um, in May, one of the major leaders stepped down and they put two potential people up for um, an appointment to replace her. Neither of them have actually replaced her. And so there's not any leadership as far as anyone is really concerned within the organization. Um, and just to give a sense of the latest, uh, they failed to file taxes in 2020, which is the year that all of this kind of happened. And the DOJ in California gave them 60 days to disclose their information. The leaders will be held. The kind of unknown leaders will be held personally liable for the uh, the money if they can't explain where it went um, and they can't solicit funds in the short term. And so I think it's important to note that like this is not an analysis of the BLM movement as a whole, but this is an organization that in in the summer of 2020 ended up getting huge amounts of money that was not expected. And I think it would have been completely reasonable to give them a grace period and say, like, you need to figure this out and like, see what you're going to do with it. But it's been two years now. And now even the DOJ is coming after them. So it's pretty concerning.
0: Well, when you look at some of Sean Campbell's reporting here, it looks like from the very beginning, going all the way back to 2013, when I think the, the founder Patrice Colors, she basically started this with a hashtag. She just put mm-hmm. hashtag Black Lives Matter. It was right after the George Zimmerman verdict came down, and he was found not guilty of the murder of Trayvon Martin. And um, she wrote a very impassionate, um, you know, uh, rebuttal of that, and ha- the hashtag Black Lives Matter was at the end of that, and that really sparked this this movement as well as this particular organization. But it seems like from the day one, there was never any what what i have always seen very lacking from this particular organization is what are the concrete goals like i understand they want to you know there's a lot of things about reforming police officers and uh, or pro- reforming police you know law enforcement in this country and you know bringing about greater change in black communities but when it comes to concrete goals i've always been a little Uh, confused about that. Because when you go back a lot, it gets a lot of similarities to the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s. There were very concrete goals. They wanted to end public segregation. They wanted to end discrimination in the workplace. And those goals manifested themselves into concrete action, like the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Those things happened within Martin Luther King Jr.'s lifetime. And they were very, they were things that actually pushed change forward. Uh, When I look at this organization, though I believe a lot of this is well-meaning, what I don't see are those concrete goals. And I think that's the reason why a lot of this money is not really going to the right place because there weren't a lot of concrete goals put in place in the first place.
2: Right. And, you know, there was this quote in the article from, uh, Justin Hansford, uh, who said, uh, imagine like during the civil rights movement that somebody had created, a uh, civil rights movement incorporated, right. And he was kind of comparing this to this. And, and there was one quote after another, uh, from parents who've been, um, angered by this. And there's one mother, uh, Lisa Simpson, uh, who lost her child to, to police violence. And she said, um, they're putting hashtags on our kids and not helping us. Um, we're homeless and we can't get any type of help from this entity. And so people are frustrated. And I think what this, I think there's a larger question here about like, how do we treat nonprofits in this company, in this country? Because I think the, we give people tax exempt status, like we take advantage of that as Lost Debate, and it's great because it, it incentivizes people to pour money into needed causes, and, and in a lot of cases, causes that the government either can't or shouldn't be involved in. And that's good. Good, but we don't have a lot of requirements to say you have to create audited financial statements, especially if you're talking about the kind of money here. It's one thing I think all organizations should produce uh, audited financial statements, like we certainly do every year or will do every year. Uh, and it's usually a condition of funding. Like it's yeah. strange to me that these corporations are handing over a ton of money because usually those are the people who will be like, "All right, I need that audited financial statement." But there's so many stories like this. There was this guy Greg Mortenson. I remember uh, it was like a decade plus ago, and he was building schools. It was either in Afghanistan or Pakistan. He wrote this book called Stones into Schools, and he was like a little, he was like a celebrity. He was kind of doing the Aspen circuit and all that. And then it turns out a lot of the money wasn't reaching those schools. He couldn't account for a lot of the funding. I saw this down south with the Southern Poverty Law Center. Yeah which if you just Google Southern Poverty Law Center and scandal, you will be surprised. And what I what I find amazing is back then, this was 10 years ago, I was talking about you know the financial fraud that was alleged against, uh, alleged, I'm gonna be careful, uh, against uh, Southern Property Law Center, like major problems with their leadership. They have this spaceship-like building in Montgomery. If you go to Montgomery, they have like this super expensive building and you know, there's a lot of allegations here at Beyond. And what's interesting is it takes a lot of courage to be like, hey, here's this organization that's like, purported to be solving a really important thing but i don't think they're above level i don't think that they're ethical and there might be some questions about it it's really hard to speak up and i saw this in the south where the only people who would invite me on to talk about the spLC were right-wing radio shows because it's almost like if you're against the spLC you're for hate which obviously i'm against hate i just think that this organization is uh taking people's well intentions and squandering them yeah, well,
0: Sean Campbell talks about that. He talks about the, a lot of the hate that he's received online and in other places because people are saying, "Well, why are you questioning this organization? Why are you bringing this out?" But these things need to be brought out because, at the end of the day, the victims here are these local chapters and the actual communities that these that this organization claims that it's supposed to help. I mean, when you look at some of these anecdotes, there was the story about uh, Tory Johnson, who was an activist who was trying to form a counter protest to a, uh, I think it was like a white supremacy rally that was happening uh, near his home in California. And the Black Lives Matter, this this uh, Global Network Foundation, basically said, no, we don't do counter-protest. That could get very dangerous. But not only did they not give him help at that particular time, at the same time, they were hosting like uh, an online dance event sponsored by UGG that was yeah. supposed to like somehow bring about Racial harmony or something like that. Like that's the kind of thing that they're spending money on. And then when we talk about the fact that people are giving money to these charities and not even really knowing where it goes to BuzzFeed News reported in 2020 that Apple, Google, Microsoft and other corporations donated four million dollars to an entity called Black Lives Matter Foundation. Before realizing that it had no connection to Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, which was the actual major BLM chapter at that particular time. So they literally just gave four million dollars to somebody that had Black Lives Matter in the name and it wasn't even the the real organization. Who knows what happened to that money? So, yeah, there, there has to be greater accountability. There's a press
2: angle stuff. here, too. I think like there, there are so many glowing profiles of some of the leaders of these organizations. I know Garza, for example. Uh, you know, I have read so many things, whether it's on social media or in the media, uh, holding up these leaders. And I think it's incumbent upon uh, the people who covered this back then and participated in this to then revisit their reporting, correct it. And in my opinion, what they should be doing is like, it, like going back over this and taking Sean Campbell's reporting seriously. But then saying, "All right, let's shine the light on some of these folks." Like there's like in this story, there's I think it was an example of somebody in Orange County who was doing some really serious organizing, but was struggling to get any funds or support from the national organization. Like go back over and shine the light on some of these local leaders. Like start to undo the harm that you did in this reporting and give people shine. Because I think what happens is. These newsrooms are afraid to touch the story because then they don't want to seem like they're against the larger movement. Yeah. But they've done some harm to the movement by covering the national leaders, the national, national movement. So you have to undo that harm, in my opinion, by then saying, all right, there are people out there doing the work. We can actually participate in making these like like getting getting some of these leaders the support that they need.
1: Absolutely. And I would say that, I mean, it's been more than a week since this original article came out and I admire that this was someone who is sympathetic to the cause, but decided to call out the misallocation of funds. And I was looking at other news sources that picked it up and it's almost entirely conservative. And, you know, I think it's disappointing because the the news organizations that are sympathetic should be picking up exactly this story because they should be concerned about why that 60 million dollars hasn't gone to the cause that they support. And, and I think that it's, hopefully it will get picked up more in the media, but it's really unfortunate to see that it's been totally imbalanced in terms of coverage.
2: Yeah. And there's no, like, I think if the SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center is a guide, there's, there's no guarantee that this coverage is going to lead to people to stop giving to this organization. I still see every time there's a hate crime, people that like, give to the SPLC. Uh, and I don't think people realize just how fraudulent, allegedly, that organization is. And so- That's what worries me about this is that this coverage doesn't guarantee anything.
0: But hopefully it starts a conversation about some of the findings in this article and maybe there'll be greater accountability going forward. That's, all, that's what we can hope for. Um, now on to the world of redistricting. Thirty eight states have officially approved the boundaries of their new congressional districts. And as of Tuesday, 46 lawsuits have been filed in 17 states challenging the new maps on grounds of gerrymandering and racial discrimination. My home state of Alabama happens to be one of those states. Go figure. Where a special court in January ordered legislators to redistribute. Draw their map since it diluted the power of black voters there. The Supreme Court thought otherwise, however, voting on Monday to halt the special court's ruling and reinstate Alabama's new map. Um, so, for people who aren't aware of what gerrymandering e- even is, Ravi, do you want to give like a brief description of just what this is and why it's so problematic?
2: Yeah, every 10 years we give a census in this country, and you know, it just means we count our population and you know, population shift. And so, based on uh, that data, we have a process called reapportionment, which means that we redivvy up the congressional seats in the country. And so some states may gain, some states may lose. And, and because of that, also individual districts within states also may lose or gain populations. And so you have to redraw congressional lines uh, within states. And so that process happens after the census every 10 years. And it's supposed to be a basic process where you have these contiguous districts. So like, you know that the districts should make some kind of sense like maybe they're a square or something but over time the you know the partisan nature of our country being what it is people have begun to game the system the political parties and so um, when one political party has control over the designing of maps versus the other they're going to maximize their gain and they write they draw all these crazy lines to to just and they're now using so- sophisticated statistical models and and experts that can basically maximize their hand And minimize the hand of their opponents. And there's some states where this is like absurd. And I'm just gonna make up these numbers. Like like where you can like say, maybe it's a fifty-five, forty-five state, but one party will get 70-80% of the seats because they're that good at this. And so this is a big problem. And what's happening is you're seeing fewer and fewer swing districts around the country where Dave Wasserman uh, who's like an expert on uh, at the Cook Political Report, put the number of swing districts in this country at somewhere between 5 and 6% of wow. districts.
1: Yeah, wow. as of 2022 with this redistricting, it looks like it's 23 out of 318 districts are competitive, which is pretty ridiculous for a country that's almost 50-50. So yeah. that just seems entirely undemocratic at face value.
0: Yeah, it's insane. When it comes to this particular map in Alabama, there was three judges on a panel that basically said this map is, you know, it's going to dilute the voting power of Black voters. There, you only have one district in which Black voters have power, and they basically wanted them to redraw the map to give an additional district that was basically what they call a minority majority district, where there were more people in it that would have been able to help decide, you know, the fate of another district in Alabama who was going to be uh, representing that district. Two of the judges on that panel were Trump appointees, so this wasn't even a super partisan thing. They were just literally like, "This is just not right the way you've drawn." this map is not right now the supreme court has uh basically you know halted that decision they've gone back on it was a five to four vote uh chief justice roberts actually sided with the liberal judges on the bench in that what's really interesting is that there was a congressman out of alabama named mo brooks he's a big trump guy and he said it was wrong for this lower court to try to force alabama to draw maps based off of race but alabama already draws maps based off of race I'm going to show you how Alabama has already fully done that. We have a prop here today. This is this is Alabama and this is its congressional districts. Now, I want you to tell you- close attention to the seventh district here. This is the only district in Alabama in which African-Americans have any significant voting power. A lot of these counties right in here are what they call the black belt. These are counties in which there are majority black uh, voters in all of these counties, but there are also majority black populations in a lot of the cities in Alabama that are nowhere near any of these counties, yet they've all been grouped into one convenient district. Look at the shape of this thing. Why does it cut up look look how far down south these counties are yet this district cuts all the way up into here into oh what is that birmingham this particular city has a large african-american population its suburbs do not have a large african-american population so its suburbs are right here in this other district yet its city cuts right in there, included with all these counties that are nowhere near it. Also, look, they also decided to include Tuscaloosa. That's where the Crimson Tide play. If you're a college football fan, some of their residents are uh, heavy. Uh, they have a heavy African-American population there, but only in certain parts where they cut it in to this little sliver right here. And then look how it comes all the way over. This part of Alabama has nothing to do with this part of Alabama. And yet they cut it all the way over to get just a little tinge of Montgomery, South Montgomery, where a lot of African-Americans live. It, this this shape Makes no sense. This is not a shape. This is, look how many sides to this. This is like a dodeca gun or something. Like this is so many sides to this. A physical description of what gerrymandering looks like when they cut these districts just to include all the people into one district so they have no power over any of these other districts. Insanity, if I've ever seen it.
2: Well, uh, that was a great description. And I think this is the problem with the the modern system right now and and why I support efforts. I think one of the, the... Voting rights bills that Democrats were pu- pushing on the Hill would have the banned dead voting rights bills. Yeah, would have authority. would have uh, banned partisan gerrymandering. And I think what's interesting is that Democrats have been saying that they were going to be the victims of gerrymandering in this cycle, but all available evidence suggests that Alabama aside, uh, by and large, Democrats have actually won so far the redistricting battles. I think the American public has lost uh, because you know districts like my home district in Staten Island was a true swing district. It's I think it's changed hands four or five times since I was a kid um, from one part of the next. And it was a state where you had to really make an argument and you had to be on your toes as an elected official. You had to really serve your population and pay attention to their needs. And now it's been redrawn to make it significantly more democratic, not necessarily safe, but way less competitive. And right now, basically the way where we stand is that Republicans had control heading into this process of way more state redistricting processes. But they, they've come out so far losing seats from the redistricting process. So one analysis we saw has Democrats at the moment of being plus 11 uh, in adding Democratic-leaning seats in this process. Now, we only have 32 states as of this data that have wrapped up their process, so so much can happen in the remaining states. But because of certain states like New York that were so aggressive in redistricting out Republican states and because of this phenomenon around the country of Republicans inexplicably doing way more incumbent uh, protection than they probably should have Democrats I think have come out way stronger than they expected heading into this process and I think the problem here is in any one state nobody wants to unilaterally disarm nobody wants to say I'm going to be the responsible one and create the commission and all that I mean it has happened but it's not as widespread as it should be I think we need national reform. That's the only way we can get through this and fix it.
1: And it's worth noting that California, Michigan, Idaho, Arizona, Colorado, and Washington have all done either both parties together redistricting are totally nonpartisan commissions that they have independently um, had redraw and it's doable states have done it on both sides of the political aisle um, and i think that you know this is where my andrew yang kind of supporter comes out here it's one of his platforms in the forward party is the idea that we should have these independent redistricting commissions because 80 percent of districts are considered safe we have a 90 re-election rate and we have the lowest approval rating of Congress ever. So this is just not a system that's working for people. And I think even like going back to your point, Corey, of like the racial elements too, it's a really sad reflection of the fact that our two party system has incentivized politicians to look at people based on immutable characteristics of groups that they can win or that they just can't even think about or. It's just, it's so reductive what this ultimately does to people and to voters. And I think it's really, it's, it goes back to 1812, but that's not a constitutional element of our country and it can be changed. And I think it should be.
2: Yeah, also. I have an example of this too, which is my, my district was Staten Island plus like Bay Ridge and Bensonhurst, which is actually like culturally a very similar district. The new district that's proposed will now include Park Slope, Sunset Park, which is actually where I was born. Now, there are there a are few places in the city as different as Park Slope. In Staten Island. And one outcome of this could be there are, there are rumors that Bill De Blasio is going to be jumping into this race for this district. Oh, now, wow. there, great. There there could not be. If you went to the, the the candidate factory and you were and you set you put the settings on most anathema to Staten Island values, I don't think you could design a candidate more unpopular with Staten Islanders writ large than Bill De Blasio. But There is a world where he could emerge in this primary because it's now added a bunch of like Park Slope types like him to the electorate. And a lot of the primary electorate will come from that. Uh, And so it could be that he emerges as the primary candidate, even though the vast majority of people in this district cannot stand the man. The guy murdered a groundhog on Staten Island and covered it up. He eats pizza with a fork. You know what I'm saying? This is a guy who used to show up to work late in the after. You like, know, was late it was like 11 morning. o'clock. He would like, work out the F- at the YMCA in Brooklyn and then he'd show up to work late in Staten blue collar. And during the pandemic with yeah. the lockdowns he was yeah, working at the, the gym. This guy just doesn't work hard. This is a working class a lot of city workers, a lot of teachers, firefighters, police. They hate him. Uh, and so... To me, this is an example of and, and I saw it in Nashville, too, is like they split that district now and Nashville might not get its own representative now um, because you could have people like representing the the exurbs of Nashville instead of the city itself. Like it's absurd and people are being disenfranchised around the country. Absolutely.
0: It's just a terrible process. And de Blasio with the groundhog, like what?
2: Was just a just a murderer. Now, allegedly alleged murder. But there's, there was, there was a you manslaughter. Should look yeah, it's you should. Manslaughter. manslaughter. Okay, yeah. Manslaughter. they weren't, they weren't totally upfront about this, and and like shame on you, Staten Island Zoo, for how you participated in this. A great zoo, uh, everybody should go visit it. But. I think they they allowed themselves to get dragged into politics here. Well,
0: let's, let's hope he doesn't reemerge as a candidate because that would just be awful. yeah. We
2: don't have positions on. I on thought campaigns. this was like
1: the only uh, unifying issue of like everyone ever that like the only thing Americans can agree on, or at least New Yorkers, is that yeah. we all can't stand De Blasio. Yeah, we
2: like we don't take a position on the actual election. Yeah, we just dislike him as a yeah, person. Yeah. Let me put my C three hat on, <laughs> on a second and say he has not announced there any campaign. So, this, yeah, so is this is totally so this fine. Is totally fine. If he <laughs> does, <laughs> then we have nothing to say about it. Yeah. We, we have know, no we have opinion absolutely on that. nothing to say no about it. Yeah. So we're neutral in that race if you couldn't tell her super neutral super neutral yeah. the beijing olympics have been <laughs> a muted affair so far as
0: chinese government warns against the protesting of human rights violations Free speech advocates are criticizing the games from afar, including one of basketball's most prominent voices these days, Ennis Cantor Freedom. Uh, Ricky, you are a fellow at FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Education. Tell us about this latest video from Freedom.
1: So he spoke on our behalf in an ad that NBC aired during its screening of the Olympics, and that came out last night, um, which... You know, it is the Olympics in China, so he's a pretty significant person to have um, speaking on our behalf. So let's throw to the video.
3: Unfortunately, if you use your free speech in Turkey, you'll end up in jail. So I started speaking out against the Turkish government and they broke my passport, they put my dad in jail, and my dad had to put a statement out and saying we are NS. So, you know, people should feel very lucky and blessed to be in a country like America where there's human rights. And obviously America having her own uh, problems, but change can only happen in America with freedom of speech. And without freedom, you cannot do anything.
1: Yeah. So this is an ad that I'm super proud to be affiliated with through fire. Um, Free speech is really an important issue to me. And I think that he's a really great example of someone who came from a society where that's not valued and seeing just how important it's become to him as a person is really touching.
2: Yeah. I think fire in many ways is stepping in for the ACLU, which uh, has taken a turn over the past Mm -hmm. decade plus and seems to be more selective of the kind of speech that it defends. And I think this story is so harrowing. I can only, I can't imagine like, like what it must be like to have your father go in prison and then have to publicly disown you like that. Uh, I mean, that's so tragic. I mean, he did do one thing that I did not like, which is he went on Tucker Carlson, um, uh, Cantor Freedom did, and said the opposite of what he says in this ad, which is he said,
3: When you leave a country like Turkey or or, you know, China or somewhere else, you will appreciate the freedoms you have here. Yes, you know. That is exa- so I feel like they should just please. They they should just keep their mouth shut and stop criticizing the greatest uh, nation in the world. And they should focus on you know the, their freedoms and their
2: hum- human rights and their uh, democracies. And then he apologized for it. So I want to be clear, but I think he got a little excited to tell this story. And I would just hope he would, because uh, I'm with him on this. So like I just like stay consistent. Keep pushing it. I do like um, keeping the heat on China because I think this is super inconvenient for them the more people talk about this. And he's in the middle of, you know, he works for a company which is super skittish. I'm talking about China, the NBA, Mm -hmm. as we've talked about many times.
0: Yeah, I believe he got Celtics games banned in China for speaking out against China. I'm not sure if that ban stands, but I know It it does still stand. So, wow. So And they've lost millions millions of dollars because actually there are more people who watch the nba in china than here in america uh and so yeah he's he's putting a lot on the line his career uh even you know risking you know his his name and everything to speak out for uh freedom of speech and everything like that so i have a lot of respect for that but like you said consistent on the messaging i think with the tucker Carlson thing maybe he just got a little too excited and too you know because i think he feels like that the right wing in this country is protecting that a little bit more than the left wing. Yeah. Maybe that's why he decided to kind of say, hey, we should we should it's not probably speak right. out against it. And that's yeah. it's true, but there should still be this open area where we can all criticize any uh, form of leadership and authority, no matter where it's coming from. Right.
1: Yeah, and just to put a little context around the Tucker clip, um, I agree that that quote isn't really reflective of him. Um, but he was saying, in, within the context of other countries, how much we have to be grateful for, for our relative freedoms here, and that he said that they should shut their mouths and then later um, apologized for that and said he would never tell people to shut up. And I think it's important, um, especially for those listening. Uh, throughout the ad, they, they show um, Kaepernick kneeling. They show BLM protests. They show pro-life protests. So like, I think it's really important to remember that free speech is not a partisan issue. And I to those who criticize him for going on right-wing media, I would really hope that more people on the left would invite him on because his issue is not a partisan one. It shouldn't yeah, be a partisan one and everyone's freedom depends on the ability to criticize the government and to stand up for what they believe is right.
2: Yeah, and we've talked about this before. Like the juxtaposition of him and LeBron to me is mind-boggling, whereas we've talked about LeBron went after Daryl Morey, Morey, the then uh, GM of the Rockets, when Morey... Uh, pointed out uh, human rights issues uh, in Hong Kong basically saying I stand with the Hong Kong protesters And so for me like you know LeBron has a standing invite I'm sure in, in a lot of media circles and it is notable to me that Cantor like let's let's say the worst version of that Cantor quote was true it's not it's no worse than um, LeBron telling an actual person to shut up about Hong Kong and he's not informed but I believe he wasn't educated on on, on the situation at hand. And um, and he spoke. Like it was like a very specific situation. He was asking somebody to be quiet <laughs> in a context that LeBron had a lot to lose. So, um, yeah, I think it's notable.
1: Yeah, And this ad comes um, just after Pelosi had made a statement recently to the Olympians that are in Beijing saying, quote, do not risk incurring the anger of the Chinese government because they're ruthless. I worry about... Um, what the Chinese government might do to the athletes' reputations and their families. And then the White House um, did distance themselves from this claim. But it's it's definitely um, unfortunate. It's an unfortunate truth that she's speaking to, but it's really disheartening to hear that from an official, to hear that we're engaging not only in the Olympics, but also financially with a country that we can't even trust to have are Olympians and athletes exercising their their free speech and right to criticize any country or any government? So it's it's definitely a stark contrast. And I give Fire credit for putting this up for um, during NBC's airing of all things.
2: Yeah, I'm hoping that this might this is the last uh, term that Pelosi serves as leader. I think if there's just been. T- so many examples of, of tone deafness coming from her with the stock ban, for example. Like she originally mm-hmm. came out against it and, and at least to my reading of it is trying to insert a poison pill about the judiciary into the stock trade ban, not the issue we're talking about here. But it just seems like she's out of step. And I think if I were uh, you know, on the hill and within that leadership, I would I would be repeating repeating you know what got us here won't get us there and i think there's a lot of reverence for her about certain things that she did like ushering through the affordable care act but you know everybody uh you know everybody's time comes you know and i think for her we're well past that time yeah i don't think they're gonna win the house anyway so yeah but I don't, even as minority leader be. yeah you know
0: yeah, yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see uh well professor robbie here is going to put <laughs> on his nuclear physics hat nuclear it's pronounced nuclear and talk about an exciting new breakthrough from a machine called the artificial sun ravi
2: what's up with the sun uh well okay so there was this there's been a development in nuclear power and to to just help people understand what's going on here is there are two different processes fission and fusion and in fission you split uh, an atomic nuclei right and if, and if if you remember from your physics and your chemistry, the nucleus of an atom is made up of protons and neutrons and protons have a positive charge, neutrons are neutral. That's where we get the word from. And so uh, what happens when you split an atom, like you would think that because they're, they're the protons are both positive, they're like magnets that they would repel each other, but they're almost like there's like a metaphorical rubber band that keeps them together, we call it the strong force. And uh, they call it strong for a reason. So what happens is um, you um, kind of shoot neutrons at it and it splits it apart and you break apart the metaphorical rubber band and that creates energy. And in some cases, it also splits off other neutrons, which creates a chain reaction that heats up water, it moves a propeller. That's nuclear power that we have today. And I'll get to like where we stand with nuclear power, but these tiny atoms can produce a tremendous amount of energy when you split them. They also can produce a tremendous, tremendous amount of energy when you combine them which is fusion. And so basically, the, the the opposite of the process I just described for fission is fusion. And you'll take like four hydrogen atoms, and you'll basically collide them through heat and pressure. And in the process, the four hydrogen atoms yield a helium atom, and then shoot off protons, kind of like what you're shooting off neutrons in fission. Why is this important? Because Fusion is really hard to produce because of the kind of heat that you need to produce and the kind of pressure you need to produce. It's it's not something that has yielded energy for our daily use uh, in the in the on Earth, other than what we get from solar, like secondarily. But if we could harness it, it's better because it doesn't create the same toxic byproducts that fission does. And so, by and large, where where people think we were far away from getting uh, any usable energy from fusion other than like what we get secondarily from solar. But scientists in Europe had a breakthrough where, where they basically were able to, and i want to get this right, and this is the cleverly named Joint European Taurus, which is called JET. Uh, and essentially, on the surface of the sun, it's uh, 15 million degrees Celsius in order to produce a fusion reaction. And scientists believe you need 10 times that kind of heat In the United, if you're on Earth, because it's lower pressure on Earth. So because pressure and heat are the two things that you can kind of combine to create this process. So we need 10 times the heat on the surface of the Sun in order to create this, which is why people have been kind of pessimistic in part about our ability to do this. But these scientists basically did that. So um, they doubled uh, the previous record of the kind of heat that they produced from this process. That was their own record from 1997, and this is a huge development because this could mean that eventually we get to the point where we're creating energy through fusion which means it 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 solves one critical problem of nuclear which is the the waste product that we create and i'll get to this in a second which is i think that we can solve the problem with fission also but this is huge it could take some a few decades to really get to the point where we're creating usable energy out of this but it's uh it's a reason for hope and you know we want to do more hopeful stories here
0: Dr. Professor Ravi, I have a
2: couple of questions.
1: Um, Smile and nod that we were both just doing.
2: <laughs> How, so what is the timetable
0: looking like for, yeah. for something like this to be actual, implemented on a large scale?
2: Well, I've been designing my jet pack um, and I think we can, no, I'm just kidding. We're not gonna be able to do that. I, I think it's, people are saying 20 plus years, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. But one thing that's notable here is just, I think this is a good opportunity to stop and say, well, where are we with nuclear energy across the country? Uh, and across the globe. Um, And we're going to throw up for people viewing at home um, this nifty chart that we put together to give people a sense of just how many nuclear reactors we have, right? So the United States has 93, but two under construction. So we're not really growing it. France has 56, one under construction, but they're poised to make an announcement where they may expand that. China, on the other hand, has 53 reactors, 18 under construction, 35 planned, and 168 proposed. So China is actually dramatically expanding nuclear. And you may be like, because I know every time we mention China, we're like, all right, what's the problem? But actually, this is by and large, I think, a welcoming development, we need China to meet their emissions targets, if we're going to have a planet, in my opinion, in 100 years. And so the fact that they're creating a a process that has dramatically less uh, impact on our CO2, output is welcome. And I think a lot of people within the, the green movements and, and the ecological communities are against nuclear. And I want to, you know, I want to respect their arguments. Like they, they are, you know, are concerned about where we're storing nuclear waste. They're also concerned about the fact that the more nuclear plants you you have, the more you have to worry about potential nuclear proliferation and, and the potential for people using these for weapons. Like, obviously, we've been following the Iran and North Korea debates. This is like, you know, this is this sort of shell game that that some countries play is that they're saying they're doing nuclear energy, but they're really designing bombs. So that's a problem. Yeah. But uh, in nuclear's defense, nuclear is, by and large, safer than a lot of other types of energy. So our world in data, they put out the following statistics about accidents and air pollution per terawatt hour. And so coal produces 24.62. So, you know, a lot of accidents, a lot of pollution coming from uh, coal, oil, biomass or followed behind that. Nuclear comes at 0.07, which is in and around other sources of clean energy. 0.04 for wind, 0.02 for hydro, 0.02 for solar. So, by and large, nuclear is relatively safe, clean. Uh, source of energy and i think people have a, a different sense of what nuclear the threat that it, it places because you have these stories in your head three mile island yeah. fukushima mm-hmm. chernobyl and i think you know chernobyl i'm going to put to the side because that was i think of a different scale but uh three mile island and fukushima i think if people look it up it's it wasn't as deadly and problematic as people, as they remember looking back on it. Not that they were good, but they weren't this devastating event that I think people think they were. And so, and I think for Fukushima, for example, terrible incident, but there was, you know, arguably no death directly as a result of it. And a lot of the death and destruction came from people fleeing. And that's terrible. But, uh, you know, every type of energy we use has some kind of Uh, Risk to it, and And so I think, yeah, we um, I think we need to take it seriously.
1: And even with Chernobyl, I don't mean to cut in here, but um, I would I would ask viewers to think of estimate how many deaths they think did occur, and the majority of people, according to polls, will put it in the hundreds of thousands. Some of them even in the millions. And the UN estimates that it's fifty directly due to uh, the radiation. And so I think while that is of course terrible, and we've learned a lot of lessons from that, it's worth noting that we we have allowed a potentially really valuable source of energy to become the second least popular public source of energy behind coal yeah
2: and i think like chernobyl is a good example like obviously there are other things like birth defects that happen there but anybody who looks at chernobyl uh and really good hbo series i think it's hbo HBO about it uh this was a preventable tragedy. Like this Absolutely. wasn't specific to nuclear energy, right? This was human error uh, and on a scale that was staggering. And I think it was it was a particularly unique characteristic of that government at the time uh, allowed that to happen. And so obviously human error is always something we need to factor in, but there's a reason why we haven't had something like that since.
0: Yeah, and I think human error is the big thing that people are worried about with nuclear. And when you look here in America, our education system, for instance, when you were giving us that lesson at the very beginning, you know, I knew some of that stuff, <laughs> but, uh, I didn't know a lot of it and i think if our education system taught the science behind this better then people would be more comfortable with knowing that you know like generation z for instance is going to be able to handle this type of energy source in the future because all i know is that the the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the sale that's (laughs) that's that's all i really know and so let
2: me give you a little bit on on so i give you the arguments against nuclear here are some arguments for it just to summarize them zero emissions once built and obviously, like, you can quibble with it, like, who's driving to the plant, whatever. But, like, let's call it zero emissions. Small land footprint, you need over 3 million solar panels or 430 wind turbines to match one nuclear facility taking up one square mile. Uh, the waste is a problem. But all the waste produced by U.S. nuclear energy in the last 60 years could fit on a football field at the depth of less than 10 yards.
0: Wow. Wow. That's crazy. I've never heard those stats before. I think that I think there's like a, a bit of propaganda against nuclear. Yeah. And I think it's
2: because it's so separated from the you know what we think of traditional. I have a proposal by like the way. That. Let's take that nuclear waste, bring it to Mile High Stadium. That's where the Chiefs should play from now on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, all right. Bills fan. Um, interesting. Well, well, thank you, Professor Robbie. This was very uh interesting and um. I'm going to start reading more chemistry and physics books so I can get caught up <laughs> on um, all the things that's going on over there with the with the jet people in Europe. Oscar nominations came out this week and everyone has an opinion about it. But I, hate the, I think the real question is, have any of us actually seen any of these movies? So Best Picture nominees, let's just start with that. Uh, we, we got a graphic up uh, for the people uh, listening on the podcast. I'll tell you real quick, the nominees, The Power of the Dog. King Richard, West Side Story, which I could have swore came out like 50 something years ago. Um, Belfast, Dune, Licorice Pizza, it's kind of a good one. Coda, Don't Look Up, the Netflix spectacular, Nightmare Alley, and then a a Japanese film called Drive My Car. Like those are the nominees. Have have we, like, like just me personally, I have only seen Don't Look Up. And I, 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 I didn't sh- even
2: make it through. Don't look up because I felt like I was being preached to too much. And I, as everybody knows, I take this like I like I, I would like the idea of a metaphor for climate change. It just felt too preachy to me. I've seen none of these things. I've seen obviously the original West Side Story, and yeah. I've seen the Broadway. The Power of the Dog is an amazing book. Um, I, yes, I, I don't I've know. heard that's
0: an incredible film. Yes, yeah. incredible film. Yeah. Ricky, have you seen any of these
1: films? I, I saw Don't Look Up, but I also didn't make it through the whole thing. It's just really long. Like it felt, it felt eternal. But like looking at these little. Uh, thumbnails it looks like a bunch of like kind of depressing movies like i feel like that's kind of become the theme with the oscars of we have these like super fun popular yeah. movies that come out every year and then the oscars is like all right are you ready to feel miserable and hate yourself <laughs> like for Nomad your place in history i love
2: nomadland and minari i liked a lot of the, 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 the nominees last year they yeah. are also very sad like nomadland yeah. is a It's a really tough ride.
0: It's been a few years for me since I've seen like a really good, just like top ten, great selection for movies from the Oscars. But there's still some controversy as far as uh, when it comes to representation at the Oscars. Uh, A lot of people are saying that racial diversity is actually down. Uh, In 2021, there was a record-breaking nine non-white actors were nominated for awards. Uh, This year, uh, only uh, four black actors are nominated. And uh, right now, we have a a graphic up, and I'll explain to you for people on the podcast of the Best Actress and Best Actor nominees. When you look at the Best Actress nominees, um, not not a lot of color in that picture. Not, not I mean, they're, they're great actresses, all of them great actresses. Uh, I'm a particular fan of Penelope Cruz. Uh, but still, the other nominees are all, all white. And Best Actor, on the other hand, we do have uh, uh, two African-Americans nominated, uh, arguably two of the most well-known black actors of all time, Will Smith and Nizza Washington. But you were talking about the Best Actor nominees. You were basically saying that they were, they were great actors nominated for mediocre
2: movies. Yeah, these are by and large bad movies. I've seen some of these ones. Um, but I think, you know, Javier Bardem, Denzel Washington, Will Smith, these are amazing. Benedict Cumberbatch, amazing actors. Yeah, for sure. and I, think, I think sometimes what happens is these things, it's like they almost are like like rewarding people for past achievements. Yes, you know? yes, absolutely. Like I wouldn't mind seeing Will Smith win. I, I, I don't know what's going on with the King Richard film. I did see... Um, the ricardo's film and it was not good in my opinion and so yeah was, this was
0: surprising to see both of the the the, the um, nicole kitman and uh harvey of it was kind of surprising to see them get nominated for that because i've heard nothing but bad things about yeah, the movie
2: yeah but you know i like bardem so we'll uh
0: see. also the the ratings for the oscars so bad. have yeah. been going down pretty pretty steadily for the last few years and why why, why do we think that is
1: Well, if you look at this chart for our listeners, um, in 2010, they had 41.62 million viewers. And in 2021, it was 9.85 million. So that's way down and it's been on a downward trend, but there's clearly a point in 2019 where it just kind of goes right off the cliff. And that was when the whole Kevin Hart cancellation, we can't find a host situation mm-hmm. happened. Um, And I know that's been like a continued issue of like, n- who wants to host the Oscars now that there's like a forensic analysis of yeah. everything you've ever said. I
2: don't know um, who passes that test. Yeah, yeah. so
1: I, I think that that was kind of when everyone was like, oh, okay. And also during the pandemic with like a bunch of kind of downer movies and stuff like, I don't know if that was the vibe that we needed when right. we were all locked down.
2: Yeah, I also think people don't this is like a continuation of people not trusting institutions and I think all the scrutiny I don't think people know what to make heads or tails. Like you know, there's like almost like this Rooney Rule NFL effect that seems to have happened over the past few years, where there's more scrutiny of the diversity, but it's going down somehow. It's like really strange. But I think it's just kind of everybody looks at it and they're like, I don't know who these people are making these selections. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know these movies. Like, why isn't Spider Man in here? If like if the American public, con- yeah, uh, that was
0: a big concern here that that Spider Man didn't. Yeah, didn't and make I don't it. like.
2: I personally don't need another Spider Man movie. Um, I did like the 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 cool animated one they made a couple yeah, of years ago, and, I, and that did get nominated. I yeah, that yeah. was awesome uh into the spider-verse yeah but you know we don't need that i mean like but there should be some sense of what's popular with the american public here you know i think this was true of black panther it was like black panther was so popular creed was so popular like why weren't these movies we used to give them out to the popular movies like braveheart for example yeah oh yeah yeah, back in the 90s all the
1: nominees in the 90s i know and i wasn't even there for right. <laughs> and like i look at the stuff throughout my lifetime and i don't i don't know the majority of those movies right it's just yeah. so strange
0: yeah. yeah i'm not sure if like i'm not sure if like half of the population has seen spotlight for instance yeah. which yeah. one best picture this is a good movie ago. though it's a great movie.
2: But, but but i also want to say that the this, this seems to be related to what's happened with the Olympics, right? Ratings are down for the Olympics. Ratings are down for the Oscars. And, I, and I'm wondering, like, if there's some kind of connection. There. I mean, ratings are really down for the Grammys. Yeah. Like. But what's weird is it's not true of every kind of collective event anymore. I mean, the trend in general is that we're doing less things collectively. Obviously, we're not watching, like, the nightly news together or the same TV shows or TGIF or whatever. You're not going to get that reference. <laughs> but, they, but, uh, <laughs> but some things are up, like, you know, the, the tragic uh, NFL conference game between the Bills and the Chiefs was like I think one of the highest rated playoff games we've seen in a long time. So
0: Yeah, I mean, one could look at it as, as a tragedy. Everyone's
1: busy side. listening to Joe Rogan and stuff. There you go. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> that's, that's our collective experience.
0: That's the collective experience. Yeah. Yeah. The Certainly Joe Rogan your experience. That's what I call it the Joe Rogan experience. It's a yeah. collective experience. Yeah. So um, real quick before we end the show, all of us here at The Lost Debate took a quiz about our political leanings. It was the Sapley quiz, a political compass uh, result. We'll, we'll put up a, uh, you can go to sapleyvalues.github if you want to go actually take this quiz for yourself. And uh, right now, for our YouTube watchers, we're
2: putting up, this is
0: the actual, this is the. This is where we all came and out. for folks
2: listening at home, this will be on our Instagram. If you can go to Lost Debate Instagram, you can check it out there.
0: And, it's, and we're not going to out anybody in the office as to where we all landed, but I think it's a nice, uh, you know, this it's evenly distributed all across the board. Nobody's way too far in one corner as
2: far as right or left or authority or liberty. Yeah. Yeah, let me, like like, kind of give a little context to this is that, like, I did not ask anybody to take this, to be clear. I run the <laughs> company. Everybody, you guys just did this on your own. You you basically you forced required you to me to take yes. it. Forced so I don't I want anybody to think I'm like doing an ideological purity test. You guys self-organized <laughs> around this. This is true. Uh, but, you know, it, it has an axis for left to right, liberty to authority, and essentially it just grabs people. And what I th- think is really interesting about this is that we have people in every quadrant in our company, which makes me really proud. And, and we didn't necessarily select for that. It just kind of came out. Uh, organically in the process. And I also, also want to share this because I want us to be a transparent company where I think like often you're watching the news and you're like, I could tell there's some kind of bias going on here or bend or ideology, but they're not being upfront about it. And so like, is this quiz perfect? No. Like are there other quizzes that will like come out with different kinds of outcomes? I'm sure. But we want to be transparent about this so that people at least know, all right, when I'm dealing with this company, who are these people? What do they believe? Definitely.
1: Yeah. And I would say that I'd bet being somebody who's involved in some news organizations that there are very few that get that much of a spread and also that much of a general kind of centrism about it at the same time, which is interesting.
0: Yeah, there was one individual that's like literally right there in the middle. Like, uh-huh. I mean, like I just like dead center in the in the <laughs> middle and. And and maybe we should be consulting that individual going forward with just our, <laughs> our story selection and everything
2: else because it's just just complete well, centrist. I, I think it's it. like a neoliberal centrist. I think like some of our YouTube commenters could help me with this argument. But like whoever that is is like, are they are they a corporate sellout? Or are they like why are they so centrist? Why are they moderate?
0: I, I think they, I think they're just middle of the road. You know, yeah. just a, a stress sideliner, if you will.
2: Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I wonder who that is
0: yeah well we, we may never know and the mysterious
1: uh, green dot yeah <laughs> <is>
0: mysterious god <laughs> knows who <laughs> oh yeah there is a green dot that's kind of kind of to the right there kind of to the
1: right kind of to the libertarian side
0: yeah, yeah wonder who that could be huge mystery yeah not sure anyway <laughs> thank you all for watching and thank you all for listening make sure to subscribe to our youtube channel for more and if you're listening to our podcast make sure to rate review and subscribe we will see you guys next time